If you've got a Bible this morning, uh, you can open with us to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read verses 10 to 17 together as we continue in our series entitled Arm for Battle, taking a look at the armor of God that He has provided to us for the fight and the war and the battles that we face on a regular basis in the heavenly places. The battle is real, remember? And so He's armed us for it. And so Ephesians chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 10 read through verse 17 together today. Paul writes these words in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is God's word. Listen, this morning, church, I know that we in our day and time are accustomed to watching images of warfare that are nothing like the images of warfare in Paul's day and time. We're accustomed to seeing images in far removed places, in distant lands, images of ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, drone strikes, all of uh, air war that takes place on foreign soil. And that warfare can seem so far removed and so distant and so uh, out there that it's hard for us to imagine what war looks like up close and personal. But in Paul's day, there were no ballistic missiles, uh, there were no drones, uh, there were archers to be certain, as we talked about the flaming arrows that they would send across enemy lines, Uh, but most of the warfare took place face to face, up close and personal, and it took place with weapons such as swords. And the swords that it took place with in Paul's day were not like long long fencing swords where they stood off and kind of... You know, that kind of whole deal, but they were short swords, almost dagger-like swords that could be tucked into the belt with which they could pull out as they were face-to-face in combat and pierce their enemy with. And so when Paul writes about the sword of the Spirit, one of the things that he wants us to understand is that this spiritual battle that we're in is not far removed, it is not distant, but it is daily, it is close, it is personal, it is in our face. And if we're going to stand our ground, which is what we've said the controlling verb in the text is, that we would stand, that we would stand firm, that we would hold fast. If we're going to stand our ground, then we must, as Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which he identifies as being the Word of God. And my goodness, how we need it today. Listen, in a culture where 80% of the adults in the United States are able to complete tasks that require comparing and contrasting information, paraphrasing or making low-level inferences in a culture where information is literally at our fingertips in an educated culture where information this information superhighway known as the world wide web i don't know if anybody still calls it that but the internet by which we have access to with all kinds of devices in every place that we might imagine 
I can go out into the woods of East Texas and still have cell phone reception miles from the nearest town and still have access to anything and everything that I might want to find online seven days a week, 365 days a year. In a culture where children are taught to read from an early age and all sorts of early childhood intervention therapists are available to help and assist those who struggle to read. In a culture where literacy and education is cherished and a value that's held high. Oh my, how biblically illiterate are we? We are illiterate when it comes to the Scriptures. We're literate in so many other capacities, but we're illiterate when it comes to the Bible. When you look at the number of self-identifying Christians who are still searching for meaning in life, it gives you an indication of how biblically illiterate we are in the church and our culture. The number of self-identifying Christians who aren't sure if there's more than one way to be saved, more than one road that leads to heaven. When you look at the number of self-identifying Christians who they may not know where, but they're pretty sure that somewhere in the book of Proverbs is the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Right? They believe that's a verse somewhere in the book of Proverbs. When you look at that, like we could go on and on this morning about evidences of biblical illiteracy, and I believe that that's one of the reasons why we have become so vulnerable to attack by the enemy is because we're so biblically illiterate. Paul says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so this morning, what I want us to consider together is this. How do, what, what do we need to know and then how do we use the Word of God? If I had to tag this text with a title this morning, I would call it Knowing and Using the Bible. Knowing and using the Bible in this up-close and personal battle that we're facing on a daily basis in order to stand our ground. So the first thing I want us to see from this text is this. If we're, gonna, if we're going to stand our ground, Paul says, you have to arm yourself by knowing the Bible. You have to arm yourself by knowing the Bible. In verse 17, we're told that the sword is the sword of the Spirit. Or it could be translated, the sword belonging to the Spirit. The sword that the Spirit holds. The sword that the Spirit wields. The sword that the Spirit swings in our lives. And the sword that the Spirit uses in our lives to equip us to stand our ground is the Word of God. Now, the word here for word, you with me? The word for word in the Greek is not the Greek word logos, which we might see in other places throughout the New Testament, but it's the Greek word rhema. And the word rhema literally means this. It means spoken word. So what God, in other words, what the Holy Spirit uses in our lives to help us stand our ground against the attacks and advances of the enemy are the words that God Himself has spoken. The word that God has spoken is what the Spirit uses to help us stand our ground. And one of the things this means for you and I, church, is this. Is that there is no, listen, there is no throwaway words. There are no throwaway books of the Bible. Right, there's no throwaway chapters or even verses in the book. Right? They all do work in our lives. Which is one of the reasons that the normative pattern of teaching at Redeemer is through books of the Bible. Because we believe every word from Genesis to Revelation has something to say to the church. Some way to equip us. Some way to challenge us. Some sin to uncover in our lives. Some encouragement to bring for us. 
That's why we work through books of the Bible or large chunks of Scripture together at a time because there's no throwaway word. Every word is able to do some work. That's what Paul says elsewhere in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Some of us are familiar with this verse. Which Paul writes, all Scripture. Now, that, I've said this before. That word all in the Greek, it literally means all. <laughs> That's what it means, church. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There's a couple of things out of that verse I want us to see this morning. And the first one is this. It means if, if we're going to stand our ground by knowing the Word of God, right, the words that God has spoken, we've got to recognize that the Word is powerful. In the first part of verse 16, in, in 2 Timothy 3, we read, All Scripture is breathed out by God. The text teaches us that the Scriptures are literally God-exhaled. That God breathed them out. right? And if they are God-expired, then they are God-inspired. God, the very words of God, He breathed them forth as He spoke them into being. And when God exhales, when He breathes out, it is powerful. Let me show you two places for this in the Scriptures. First of all, it's powerful to create natural life. Right? In Genesis chapter 1, the breath of God brings forth life. We're told that God creates everything by speaking it into being. Okay? That God said, and it was. In Genesis 1. Then in Genesis chapter 2, you read that God creates our first father. He forms him from the dust of the ground, then breathes life into him. In Genesis 2, 5 to 7, we read these words. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. When God forms him from the dust, and places his mouth over him, right, like a little CPR going on there, okay, and he breathes into Adam's lungs, breath fills him, and life animates him now. See, when God breathes out, things happen. He brings forth life. But not only does He bring forth natural life, He also brings forth new life. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God brings Ezekiel into a valley and He gives him this picture. As Ezekiel walks through the valley of dry bones and listen to what God's, uh, this, this interaction God has with Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. In other words, they were so dry that they were brittle. Okay? It wasn't like something that had just died a couple of days ago and the vultures are circling, picking off the flesh. It was bones that were dry to the point of disintegration. And he said to me, God said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. 
And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. God brings Ezekiel out into the valley. Nothing, he just sees this brittle, disintegrating, dried up corpses, bones in the desert. And he says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, I have no idea, God. Only you know if these things can actually be resurrected. And God says what? Prophesy. Preach. Bring forth these words that I'm giving you and say to them this and such. And the this and such that he says to them begins to happen, right? The bones come together, bone to bone, they rattle. And then all of a sudden, you can imagine ligaments. I can imagine the kind of imagery that our science fiction writers uh, and, and, and producers could put on this if they pictured this in a modern film cinematic production, but ligaments began to form and muscles began to connect and tendons began to stretch and they became bodies, not just bones. And then he says, hey, listen, they're still dead. So prophesy again, say to them, come from the four corners of the wind. And the breath fills their lungs and they stand on their feet and God brings resurrection to those who had been slain. This is the task I have every single week of saying to people who are dead, live, and trusting that God's going to bring them to life. God gives not not only natural, but new life through His Word. It's powerful, church. Another thing that we see in the text that it's profitable. There's nothing, there's one more thing this morning that we need to see here. In, in verse 16, it says that not only is this scripture God breathed, but it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Every word does some work. Might be a different kind of work, but it does some work. If it's, it, so it's profitable in the sense that it benefits us somehow. It does something to us, it does something for us. And there's at least two things that Paul references here in the text that it does. Ways that it benefits us. First of all, it's profitable for teaching and for reproof. Throughout the Bible, when those two words show up, they usually describe the transmission of information or of doctrine. So the word builds our doctrine, our understanding of theology, understanding of who God is, who we are, how He relates to us, how we relate to one another. It builds our doctrine. See, there's a faith that has been delivered once for all unto the saints, Jude says. And it's found in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon, I love the way he said it. He said this, he said, Never be afraid of your Bibles. If there's a text of Scripture you dare not meet, humble yourself till you can. If your creed and Scripture do not agree, cut your creed to pieces, but make it agree with this book. If there be anything in the church to which you belong that is contrary to the Word, leave that church. So strong words. See, the Scriptures are profitable in that it teaches us what we ought to believe. It corrects and reproves us when we err in our doctrine. But not only does it build our doctrine, but it also builds our devotion, church. Our devotion. See, Scripture is profitable for correction and training in righteousness as well. 
These two expressions, when they show up in the Scriptures, describe our practice, our way of living, our lifestyle. And when you encounter something in the Word, listen, many, many people would t- want to take the book and they would want to cut out pieces that don't agree with their modern sensibilities. But the question for you and I is when we encounter something in the book that runs against our modern sensibilities is not whether or not this truth needs to be cut out of the Bible, but does this truth need to cut something out of me? What does it need to tear out of me? Not how can I tear it out of the book? All right, so it builds our doctrine and it builds our devotion. It's powerful. It works. It does something. It's a sword with which we defend ourselves as we stand our ground. And it's the spirit sword. Okay, so listen, here's, here's the deal. This is not your sword. It's not my sword. Right? It doesn't say, and take up your sword of the Word of God. It says, take up the sword of the Spirit, the sword the Spirit will wield in your life. It belongs in His hands, not in my hands or your hands. He is the one who wields it on our behalf and for us in the midst of our battle. And that's good news because He's much stronger than I am to defend me with the words that God has spoken. But listen, let me tell you something. The Spirit is not a magician. Right? Let me see if I can break it down for you this way. Remember, you've seen those magicians, right, who come out on stage and they got a little trunk and they pull out all these things out of the trunk and one of the things they pull out of the trunk is a hat, right? And they show you the hat and they stand on stage. They make a big deal about the hat, don't they? It's usually a black hat. It's about yay deep, right? And they walk around the stage. They show you the hat. The hat's empty, right? Come up here, volunteer. Reach your hand into the hat. Anything in the hat? No, there's nothing in the hat, right? Right? So they, they show you the hat. They have somebody reach into the hat. There's nothing in the hat, right? And then they go, whoosh, right? With the hat. And then they stick their hand in there, and what do they pull out? A little fluffy white bunny. Where'd that bunny come from? Right? But listen, the Holy Spirit is not a magician, He doesn't pull out of you things that you have not put in you in the midst of your battle. Because see, in the midst of the battle, the Spirit takes up the sword and He goes to work against the enemy. But what He has been equipped with is what you have put in the hat. You've got to put it in. Right? You've got to put it in, church. Because He won't take it out. He's not a magician. He doesn't just go... Boom, psh, zap things into our minds and into our hearts that we have not filled them with. Because He doesn't pull out of us things that we have not put in us. That's why we're told, it's the sword of the Spirit, but we're told, take up the helmet of salvation. And that, that, that command also branches over into the sword of the Spirit. Because He goes, and the sword of the Spirit. Take both of those things up. So you've got to protect your head with hope and you've got to take up the sword of the Spirit. Okay? So you've got to put it in. How do you do that? Listen, do you have a plan to do that? Do you read daily as an act of worship, not as an act of legalistic piety in some way? See, whenever we talk about reading the Bible daily, so many people go, oh, that's legalism. No, it's just discipleship. It's just walking with God. Just putting stuff in to be equipped so that whenever you're in the midst of the battle, you're not unarmed for the Spirit to come alongside and go, mm, right? And jab, cut, and slice. Do you read? Do you study? So we've been doing a study for, well, started before COVID, 
continued after COVID through the book of Galatians every Sunday morning at 9.30, walking through books of the Bible, digging deep into those things. It's an opportunity to have dialogue, ask questions, interact over issues of theology, doctrine, and Scripture. It's a perfect venue if you're looking for something a little bit more, to dig a little bit deeper, to actually go in depth and study a book of the, of, of the Bible together. Do you have a plan to study? Do you memorize? Do you commit those things to memory? David says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. I might not sin against you. So I've stored things up in here so that in the midst of the battle, I'm not flipping through pages in the concordance going, oh, where's something on? Right? But in the midst of the battle, when the temptation rises, the Spirit's got, He's armed with something to come and bring it to, bring it to mind. So you can go to war. So you can defend yourself. Do you meditate on it? You know what meditation is? Eastern meditation is emptying your mind. That is not at all what the Bible talks about. Christian meditation is filling your mind. Okay, You fill your mind with a word and then you do what a cow does whenever it eats. You know what a cow does when it eats? It's got all kinds of stomachs. And so it just keeps throwing it back up in its mouth and chewing on it a little bit more and then swallowing it back down and then throwing it up in its mouth, chewing on it a little bit more. I know that's a real graphic image, but that's exactly what a cow does when a cow chews his cud, right? Because he's trying to get all the nutrients out of that so that it can be properly digested and give his body the nutrients it needs in order to be healthy. That's what meditation is. It's putting it in, pulling it back up, chewing on it throughout the day. Over and over and over again. If you want to know your Bible, you've got to read it, you've got to study it, you've got to memorize it, you've got to meditate on it. And in so doing, what you're doing is you're arming yourself, you're putting weapons in the hand of the Spirit for the war. So you've got to arm yourself by knowing the Bible. But if you want to learn how to use your Bible to stand your ground, then listen, we're going to, you need to look at the master swordsman. <laughs> Okay, Jesus Himself, in Matthew chapter 4, we see that we're able not only to arm ourselves by knowing the Bible, but win our battles by using the Bible. Okay, win our battles by using the Bible. In Matthew 4, we read about Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, and we see how He used Scripture to defeat the enemy. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we read as follows, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands... They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You see, over and over again, as the devil comes at Jesus, Jesus defends himself with these three words. It is written. It is written. 
he pulls Scripture out of his memory banks and goes to war against the enemy. Now listen, I want you to realize something this morning, church. In his humanity, Jesus didn't come out of the womb quoting the Ten Commandments. Okay? When he was born, that night there in Bethlehem, it wasn't like instead of crying, right, like every baby does, he came out saying, right, you shall not steal, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall remember the Sabbath, right? He's not doing that while he's lying in the manger. He's crying. In his humanity, he didn't come out of the womb filled with the Word. He had to learn it, hide it, commit it to memory. As we're told in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor before God and man. And he did this through the normal education system of his day, which would have included instructions with the rabbis as he sat and listened to them teach of hiding the Old Testament and is committing it to memory. Okay, many of the rabbis committed the entire five first books of the Bible to memory. You think you. You struggle with like, well, maybe not you. I might struggle with like, Jesus wept, right? But they were committing five books to memory. And in his humanity, he was putting it in there. And that's why it comes out in the wilderness. Because he walked in obedience, hid God's word in his heart. So that he had ammunition. He had a sword to fight with. Listen, I can, I can see if I can illustrate it for you this way. I remember when my son was young. We used to watch the Star Wars movies together, right? Some of you are like, yeah, these are epic, epic movies, okay? Listen, we watched Star Wars movies together, and so he had all, we started buying all the Star Wars paraphernalia, right? The little action. But one of the things, his favorite things to get was the lightsabers, okay? Those plastic lightsabers. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, where you swing it around and you have to make the sound effect yourself, like vroom, vroom, right? But we would go out in the backyard and we'd have these lightsaber battles, okay? And so, you know, we'd fight and I'd let him win some and I'd overpower him and win others, right? And so he's, he's like, you know, six, seven years old. So we'd have these lightsaber battles in the backyard and just epic clashes and duels. But listen, if I were to take that little plastic lightsaber and try to go into a real battle with real swords, I'd get carved up in a minute. I mean, in a minute. And listen, without God's Word, using God's Word to win our battles, so will you and so will I. Listen, I I want you to recognize something. I want you to recognize the fact that, listen, if you try to fight the devil with your own willpower, you're going to get carved up. If you try to fight the devil with your own human wisdom, you're going to get carved up. If you try to fight the devil with your own physical strength, you're going to get carved up. Because all of these things are like a plastic lightsaber going up against a real sharp metal what do they call those Japanese swords? Katanas? Those big blades? I don't know. But they're gonna, he's going to slice you up. Because your willpower, your physical strength, your human intellect, your reason, your wisdom is not sufficient to resist the devil. In James chapter 4, we read in verse 7, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, church, nowhere in the book are we told to run from the devil. Right? Many, many preachers and commentators over the years have all commented on the fact that there is no protection given for the back, right? 
So you don't turn away from the devil and run. We're never told to run away from the devil. We're told to resist him. And he will run away from us. And he will flee. And listen, the only way you're going to be able to resist him is by using the word in the midst of the battle. To win your battle with the word. Not with the self-help book that you bought at barnesandnoble.com last week. Or at amazon.com last week. Right? You're not going to win against the enemy with intellect, reason, wisdom. You're going to win with the word. That's what you're going to win with. So let's, let's get real practical this morning, right? So break down some areas of frequent attack in your life. Where does the enemy, because I don't know about you, I speak for myself, but there are areas of frequent attack in my life. What are those areas of frequent attack in yours? And put some, some blades in the hands of the devil, in, or in, the, in the hands of the Spirit to go to work against the devil to help you stand your ground when the attack comes. Look, look real quickly at how Satan attacks Jesus. Three things. You could probably say more, but I'll just say these three. First of all, he attacks and questions his identity. Look at what he says. If you are the Son of God. He says it twice to him in two of the temptations. If, if you really are this cherished Son of God, if you really are the beloved of the Father. What's he, what's he questioning there? He's questioning Jesus' identity. And I don't know how many times in your life, church, that the enemy has come and done the same in your life. To try to undermine who you are in Christ. To try to question your identity. The certainty that you have of being God's beloved son or God's beloved daughter in Christ. If the enemy attacks you frequently in that place. Listen, hide up some stuff in your heart, some, some blades in your heart that you can bring, that the Spirit can bring out whenever the attack comes. Like Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Hide that up, store it up, memorize it, chew on it, meditate. Or Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you are in Christ, that is who you are. That everything that comes to Jesus and through Jesus is ultimately going to be enjoyed by you as well as a co-heir with Him. That's your identity. Find some verses. Hide them up so that you're equipped whenever the attack comes. Look at what else he tempts Jesus with. He appeals to his appetites. His appetites. Listen, he says, notice, he doesn't come. He didn't come a day in to Jesus' time in the wilderness. He didn't come a week in. He didn't even come two weeks in. He comes 40 days in as this picture of the, of the time that Israel spent wandering in the wilderness of Jesus' own time in the wilderness as He fasts during that time. He must, in His humanity, He must have been ravenous. And Satan comes and says, hey, everybody needs a little bread, right? Just turn those stones into bread and eat. And Jesus says again, it is written. He's tempting Him on the basis of His appetites. And so often, the enemy will do the same for you and I. The appetites of our flesh. 
Those things that we used to feast on prior to coming to faith in Christ. He will tempt you. He will make advances towards you. And say, hey, remember how good it was back then whenever you used to feast on these desires of your flesh. Remember the fun that you had. Remember the people that you were with. Remember all those things that you were able to do before God put these shackles on you. He will lie to you, church. He will tempt you and try to deceive you and to, to yield to your appetites. And so maybe you would store up some word like Philippians chapter 3, verse 19 we're reminded that those who live that way, it says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So the end of that is going to be nothing but shame and destruction and heartache whenever you're tempted and the Spirit's able to bring that up in the midst of attack. Or Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, where we're reminded, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. See, when Satan tempts you in accordance with your appetites, be reminded that your God is not your belly. And that if you sow in accordance with the flesh, you're gonna, there's, 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 there's going to be consequences. You're going to reap things in accordance with the flesh. Be reminded of those things. It's, it's arsenal in the midst of the attack. But then finally, notice he also tempts him with another, another way to exercise his power and authority. He brings him to this highest place, the pinnacle, and says, listen, I can give all of this to you. In other words, you can circumvent the whole cross thing. You can go around and go wide of the suffering and the pain and the crucifixion and the torture if you would just but worship me. Right? What does he do? He tempts him with another way to exercise his power and his authority. The power and authority that was his, but a different way to exercise it. And listen, how often does Satan do the same for you and I? I can exalt you. You would just use your authority. You would use your power in ways that are ungodly and corrosive. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, but Jesus calls his disciples to them whenever they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And listen to what he says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so whenever Satan tempts you to exercise authority and power in ways that would domineer over those under your charge, you say, no, that is not the way Jesus came to me. So that's not the way that I'm going to go to them. Where is it that there are frequent fronts of attack in your life, church? And before the attack happens and you're flipping through the concordance, begin to store up God's word in your heart and in your mind so the spirit has weapons to work with against the enemy's advances. Are you with me? Okay. Third, this morning and finally, that if we're going to stand our ground, not only must we know and use the Bible, but listen, church, you've got to go under the knife yourself. You've got to go under the knife yourself. You see, in our fight against Satan and sin, we must not only know and use the Word to resist the devil, but we must be willing to let the Word do its work in us as well. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we're told, 
that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, in Hebrews 4, we're told that God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword and can divide our innermost beings. Those things that are under the surface, it can uncover them, it can expose them. It's able to cut away all of our pretense and expose the innermost thoughts and intentions of our hearts, what we really think and why we really do what we do. That the Word's able to expose those things. So think of it this way, the Word is able to expose your motives from your actions, divide those things out. And here's the reason this is important, because there are times in our lives where the same actions on the surface, one can be driven by a divine motive, and the same action at our lives or someone else's life can be driven by a demonic one. Let me give you a couple of examples. So you can, the Bible calls us to teach one another, correct one another, admonish one another, and all all love and grace to bring truth to bear on each other's lives. And you can lean into that, right? And you can correct someone and you can admonish someone. You can do it out of two totally different motives. Okay? You can correct and admonish someone with genuine humility and gentleness out of a concern for the truth of God to be honored and for the health of the person that you're pressing into. Right? And that could be divine motive. I want God to be honored. I want the truth to be upheld. I want their health. I want them to flourish. I want them to do well. And I see that they're being deceived, believing a lie. So I've got to lean in, correct and admonish out of humility, genuine humility and gentleness. But you can also correct and admonish with a false humility, a feigned gentleness out of a spirit of self-exaltation, pride and arrogance to show just how right you are and how humble you can be. Same action. Different motive under the surface that's driving it. One divine, the other demonic. And the Word of God is able to draw a line between the motive and the action. In addition, you can give to someone or something. Right? With divine or demonic, demonic motives. You can give cheerfully. You can give joyfully. No strings attached out of a genuine love for God and a genuine love for others. Wanting to see that initiative flourish. Wanting to see that person come out of poverty. Right? You can, you can give. But you can also give manipulatively with all kinds of strings attached from a motive of self-importance and desire for control because he who gives the most has the most say. Right? And money talks. And if it doesn't, it walks. Same action. Same gift. Even same amounts. One with a divine motive. The other a demonic one. The Word of God is able to divide action from motive. See, what the Word will do is it will get down inside and begin to, begin to divide those things out. And here's why. Because the message of this book, the message of the Bible, is not, hey, if you will just clean up the outside so that you appear to be like a whitewashed tomb and can impress everyone around you, then you're all good. But the message of this book is this, is that while you may be a whitewashed tomb on the outside, you can still be full of dead men's bones on the inside because the issue, the root issue is not your behavior, but your heart. But your heart. And so this book's always, the Bible's always driving down deeper than our surface actions. 
And it's able to expose the motives and bring those to light. So listen, Christian, if you're going to make, if you're going to stand your ground against the enemy's attacks, against his advances, against temptation to sin, against his influence, then what you've got to do is know and use the Bible and then let it not only be, be a weapon of warfare to ward off the enemy, but also let it go in and cut things out of you and expose things in you. So listen, if you're listening today, if you're here in the room or you're online with us and you're not a Christian, let me just say, the first thing that the Bible needs to cut out of you is to cut away the scales from your eyes and cut away the veil from your heart that would keep you from seeing, loving, and knowing Christ as your Savior. The enemy has you deceived into believing that you are good enough, that you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you, and so God should as well. And He should accept you. And that's nothing more than the presence of pride in your life manifesting itself in this false confidence that you are in right standing before God because of what you've done. And over and over again, the Bible comes to cut that away in us. And that's never been cut away in you. Listen. That's the first thing that you need to submit to and allow God to cut out of you is your pride of thinking that you are good enough to do this on your own. God might need to help you along a little bit every once in a while, but at the end of the day, listen, He's just supporting my agenda. This is not at all what the Scriptures teach. So if you're not a Christian today, let me encourage you. Let the Word cut that out of you. In repentance and faith, turn away from trusting in yourself and trust in Christ. Place your faith and confidence in Him. If you are a Christian, you need to go under the knife every day. That's why you've got to read the book every day. The same way that you eat every day. Okay? You've got to feed, feed your soul every day. Okay, you got to eat every day. Let it cut stuff out of you every day. Continue to cut away the remnants of selfishness, self-centeredness, sin, stubborn ways of thinking in your flesh. Go under it every day. Arm yourself with it. Use it in your battles. Because there is no other weaponry given to us whereby we can resist the devil. Because the war is not taking place somewhere out there. But it's taking place right here. Right here, church. Let me pray for us this morning that God would give us the grace that we need to know and to use the Bible. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit in power would move in our lives, would move in our hearts. Causing us to set aside those things that would take place and precedent over our time in the Word. Father, I pray that we as a church would be rooted deeply in the Scriptures, it would build our doctrine. It would build devotion within us. 
as we study it together, as we read it together, as we sing it together, as we hear it proclaimed, as we discuss it in life groups and biblical community and homes throughout our cities. And I pray that through that, Father, it would be cutting stuff out of us as a church, cutting stuff out of us as Christians, but also building things into us. That whenever we are tempted to be those filled with hate and desire for revenge, that we would find a flood of in our hearts of love as the Holy Spirit goes to war. Father, in those times in which we are tempted toward fixing our minds on perverted images, God, that the Holy Spirit would go to war and fight for our purity as we have armed Him with the truth of the Bible. Father, in those times in which we are tempted to be partial towards someone because of their appearance, because of their socioeconomic status, because of their hobbies or interests, God, that we would find the Spirit going to war within us with the truth of Your people being one, united together. And then, Father, we would hide these things very words, very spoken word of God into our lives. We build it in and it build things into us, cut things out of us, and that we would find ourselves advancing and standing our ground as the enemy attacks. Because there is a sword being wielded in the hands of the third person of the triune God, your Holy Spirit in our lives, who is giving victory. Father, help us to put on all the whole armor of God. We might be able to stand firm, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.